Today we come to the close of our, our comeback story, um, our comeback series. I, I think I'm going to miss seeing Van Kiffin kick that field goal every week. Uh, some of you can miss kick six. How many times you can go to church and get to experience that every week? But I, I want to talk today, here's, here's our theme, is waiting on your comeback. Because as we've gone through the last few weeks, we, we've, we've seen all these great Bible stories of great comebacks and We've heard testimonies on this stage every week of people who've made comebacks. And if you go to the lobby and you start reading those cards on the crosses, then you'll just be overwhelmed by what God has done. But I know there's got to be some of us who are sitting here thinking, you know, when's my comeback coming? I mean, I, mean, I hear all these stories. I hear the stories in the Bible. I hear other people. And it's just not coming. I'm waiting. And I'm ready for it to happen to me. Guys, let's just be honest here. Most of us are not good at waiting. I'm not. I hate to wait. If I go to a restaurant on Friday night and they tell me there's a 30-minute wait, I'm going to another restaurant. Anybody ever going through a drive-thru? You're, you're, you're driving up to the drive-thru. You see the drive throughs crowded, so you peer into the lobby, and if nobody's there, you walk in there, right? You, you do that? Or maybe you go to the grocery store. This is the worst thing. You go to the grocery store, there's only one line open. You're just getting a gallon of milk, and there's somebody ahead of you in their cart. I mean, the baby part, the under part, is just overflowing. And you think, I've got to sit here. And every once in a while, they'll turn around and go, you only have one item. Will you go first? And I always think, that is such a godly, spiritual person. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. I mean, you know, or, or you're on your phone. Uh, statistics say that the average American spends about 70 hours a year on hold. My wife was calling our cable provider, our, our satellite provider the other day, and she called. She was on the phone for an hour and a half. She went through four operators, and finally at the end of the fourth operator, they didn't get anything done. They said, we're closing for the night. Oh, that is so frustrating. And, and maybe one of the reasons you and I are here this weekend when everybody else is out of town is that we didn't want to hit those lines at the airport because you go and you wait and you wait and you wait and you ever had a flight delayed and, you know, they're really nice. They bring this card out, you know, with all these little, you know, pretzels and cookies and peanuts, you know, and, and even the card even literally says at times, while you're waiting, we're going to try to, try to make up on that. That's so frustrating. But let me tell you what's even more frustrating is when you're waiting on God. Because you know he could do it if he decided to do it. Look at, look at this passage from Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. Uh, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Here's what you got to understand about this verse. There's a lot of time between that first phrase, I waited, and he heard my cry. In fact, in the original Hebrews, there, there's a double there. What it literally says is, I waited, waited. That's the Hebrew language way of saying, you know what, this was a long, intense time of waiting. You ever felt like you waited, waited? We would say something like this, I, I waited forever. We, we, we pull out all three syllables, right? And maybe you're here today, and, and you're waiting on God. I mean, you're waiting on a spouse, or you're waiting on your marriage to get good, or you're waiting on a child that's just not come, 
or you're waiting on your finances to get in order, or are you, the health problems to finally stop. Maybe you're waiting, waiting through a period of dark depression, and you're, you're just ready. I can remember being there for just the, the cloud to, to go up. Or maybe it's an addiction, and you hear all these stories on the stage of people who've successfully beaten their addiction, and yours is still there. Or maybe it's an injustice in your life where you keep getting done wrong, or you see your people done wrong. Or maybe you're just waiting on a friend, or maybe you're just waiting on a break in life, but you find yourself today waiting. Now this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to learn from a, a guy that we saw a few weeks ago that was notorious for not wanting to wait. It's King David. He couldn't wait to get in bed with Bathsheba. He couldn't wait to get her into his house. But when we go to Psalms 40, look at this, Psalms 37, David is now a matured old man. I mean, look at Psalms 37, verse 25. I was young, he says, and now I'm old. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. He says, I've lived long enough, as bad as it gets, if you'll wait on the Lord, he'll come through. And so today we're going to look at this psalm. And today I want to get really practical about what you do while you're waiting. Here's the context of the psalm. These are some good, righteous people, and things aren't coming along. And they look, and it's the heathen, godless people who seem to be getting blessed. That's even tougher to wait. I mean, you're doing the right thing, and you're trying to live for God, and here are these people doing the wrong things, and it looks like everything's falling in place for them. There's frustration here. And this old man David, at this point, he knows the answers to wait. Look at Psalms verse, chapter 37, verse 1. He says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they soon shall be cut down like grass and wither as a green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently on him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Now, again, we're getting a bit practical today. What's God going to do for you, and what do you need to do while you're waiting? I'm telling you, what God's going to give you is much better than pretzels and peanuts. I mean, he's got some good instructions here. And I want you to think about, what are you waiting on today, and which of these five practical points are you going to take away from this series? Point number one, you must trust God. You, you see, he's using this word that they're stressed out, that they're fretting. He says, don't fret. In fact, I love this Francis Chan quotation, stress and anxiety reek of arrogance to the Almighty God. You see, when I, when I get all wound up in worry and stress and fret, what I'm really saying deep down is, God, I don't trust you to take care of this. So he said, you, you want to trust God. You say, well, buddy, that sounds easy, but, but how do I learn to trust God? Well, let me bring us back to an old passage many of us grew up on. Romans 10, 17. 
Faith comes by what? And hearing by what? You guys must not have grown up the way I did. Try it again. Faith comes by? And hearing by the Word of God. What's he saying? Is we get faith as we get in the Word of God. And that's why we spent these weeks looking at these Bible stories. Now here, guys, is our temptation. Is we look at the story of David or Joseph or Abraham as just a, a Bible story. And, and so we look at that and go, isn't that cool? Isn't that sweet? Isn't that nice? Isn't it cool what God used to do? My friends, these stories are not in the Bible for you and I to figure out what God did. These stories are in the Bible for you and I to figure out what God does and what he wants to do for you. And so the more I read these stories, I see them waiting and I see them blessed, the more my faith grows. I mean, think about it. Joseph waited 17 years without a word from God. Abraham waited 25 years for his promise. Moses is stuck for 40 years. Jesus doesn't start his ministry for 30 years. My friend, if this morning you're waiting, you're in very good company. It's okay. Just trust God through it. I love what it said in the passage we just read. Feed on his faithfulness. What he's saying is, you can't trust yourself. You've got to feed on his faithfulness. Number two, do good. You see, so often here's what I'm tempted to say when I'm waiting. Okay, God, when you come through, then I'll get busy working for you. I'll do good to people. But let, let me get this cleared up first. Let me get my finances, let the depression get away from me. Let me, no, 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 no. He says the best thing you can do in the middle of waiting is to just get out there and be a do-gooder. Because what's going to happen if all you do is focus on your waiting is you're going to end up being mired in self-pity. And it will destroy you. So the best thing for you to do today, if you're waiting, is to get out of your house and go serve somebody. When you just want to feel sorry for yourself, go do something for somebody else. Number three, I love this one. Delight in God. We, we don't, uh, at least my generation, I don't think we use that word much. I, 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 I remember hearing people years ago saying, that was so delightful. This was a delightful evening. That's a great word. And even better to go, you know what? I can delight in the Lord. Often we think about being scared of the Lord. Psalmist says you delight in him. And you don't just delight in him when everything's going your way. That would be easy. When everything's not going your way, he's your delight. In fact, it may be where you meet him. I like a quotation I heard years ago. God is waiting on you, and you will never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. You hear that? You're going to never know that God is all you need until God's all you have. What that saying there is, my friends, if God is all you have, you can delight in him and have a fulfilled life. So in the middle of this waiting, you learn to simply delight in God. Now, he gives you a great promise. If you delight in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that cool? But, but, but what, what, what's the order here? You first delight in God, and then he gives you the desires. That's the divine order. Why? Because when you begin to delight in God, 
God begins to change the desires of your heart. David's not saying if you delight in God, you'll get whatever you want. David's saying if you delight in the Lord long enough and you're close enough to him, he'll change your heart till you want what he wants and he'll give it to you. So can I ask you, when's the last time you laid back and just delighted in God? This time of waiting, waiting may be your moment to meet him in a whole new way. And then number four, this is good advice, just be obedient. Commit yourself to his ways. Let's confess this. Here's where we normally get in trouble. When I'm waiting, when I'm miserable, lonely, depressed, that's when we're most tempted to do things we should not do. And so that's what opens the door to our addictions. That's what opens the door for bad decisions and getting with the wrong people because I'm just, God's not come through the way I think he should. But here's the problem. My friends, if you'll commit your life to a life of obedience, God will come through. I remember when Stephanie and I were, were, were first married and, and we were going through some struggles in our marriage. I know, I know there's some people who get married and it's just awesome from day one. Other people get married and, and it, it takes time. In fact, who in here would agree with me that marriage is hard work? Raise your hand. Bad if you raise your hand, your spouse. Everybody's looking at their spouse. Did they raise their hand? All right. Marriage, marriage is hard work. And this is what this counselor told. I'll never forget. He said, buddy, Stephanie, most marriages don't get really good until about seven years. Now, that's profound. Because what that says is, you know what? There's parts of life you just have to wait, and you have to be obedient, and you have to be faithful. And, and here's what's the problem in America today. We are such an instantaneous generation. We want everything to happen right now, including our marriages being great, and that we jump out of our marriage before it ever gets really good. And we jump out of a lot of other good things where we simply need to be obedient because we're in too big of a rush. He says, while you're waiting, just be obedient. And then one more thing he says, be quiet. Now, maybe your translation says be still or, or rest. and th- Those are good translations, but the, the literal translation is you're just to be quiet. Just slow down, cut off your TV, get away from your cell phone, and be quiet before God. Why? Because God has got something he'd like to say to you. My friends, often it seems to me God allows us to wait because he's trying to teach us a lesson. And and he wants to talk to you. You say, well, buddy, come on now. I've never heard the audible voice of God. I haven't either. I wish I had. I pray about it. I'd love to. I think I would. But I've heard this thought, the small, still voice of God. I, I, I know that when, when I get, on the few times I get in quietness and silence and solitude, that, that God does speak to my spirit. And so, so what do you do when you're waiting? You, you listen for God. Well, how do you know he's going to do it? Here's all you got to do. This, this is so simple. Ask him. Just ask him what he's trying to teach you, 
What he's trying to say, just ask him. I promise you, if you will ask him and you'll wait in silence, eventually you will get an answer. See, God's not wasting this time. He's using it. So, so two questions real quick I want you to, to think about this morning because I want you to leave here really with a path to walk down. First of all, what are you waiting on right now? What's that frustration place in your life that you're waiting and it, it seems like none of your prayers are being answered? But then even more importantly, what will you do? Of these five commands, trust God, do good, delight in God, be obedient, be quiet. I want you to focus in on the one that you need to take out with you today. Write it down. What are you waiting on? And what will you do to put your trust in God? Now, while you're thinking about that, I want to show you a video. Many of you have probably heard in the news or just around town about the death of a man named Carmen Falcian. There's his picture. If you ever have met this brother, you won't forget it. He used to come to a lot of our men's retreats. He's actually the uncle to our own Daryl Daprich. And um, Carmen Falcian had an amazing ministry in Montgomery about racial and religious reconciliation. You're going to hear some of the story over the next few minutes. So I asked Daryl this week to sit down with me and talk about it because this is a great example of someone who came to a city. And this guy's a, a Yankee from Philadelphia who came to a city called by God for a specific ministry and he did a lot of waiting. I want you to hear the story. You know, as we finish this comeback series this morning, uh, I want to talk about a comeback story that really has been played out in front of this entire city. And, and we're blessed to have uh, Daryl Daprich as a part of our church. And many of you heard recently of, of the loss and the death of, of Daryl's uncle, Carmen, who just had a great ministry here called The Gathering. We'll get into that in a minute. But I want Daryl to tell some of the stories and his faithfulness, or like we're talking about this morning, of what you do when you're waiting on the comeback to happen. I think this is a great story of that. But first of all, Daryl, um, tell us a little bit about your relationship with your Uncle Carmen, how that tied you even to Montgomery. Well, he, um, in the faith that I used to be in, and in the, in the ethnic background that I'm at, godparents are very, very huge in my upbringing. And when you're born, your parents make a conscious decision to, to, to name two people that it's your godparents and and uncle carmen was named my godfather and i remember him telling me later on in 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 life that he took that vow very very seriously just to the essence of the word godfather and we've always had a close relationship but we lived in different states and so in 1989 the summer of 1989 one of what he always refers to as an eternal decision or a divine Mm. placement from god um I was going through some rough times. My parents were going through a divorce, and my sister and I were encouraged to come to Montgomery and spend some time with my aunt and uncle for a couple couple weeks, and it was a life-changing decision. I- it's sort of crazy to me that you guys both ended up in Montgomery, Alabama, and I know your uncle was in the Air Force and was stationed here and met his wife here and ended up moving back here. And, and you know, it's a long story through all that, but he eventually lands back here as a, a minister to church, and then that ends, and then he comes back again, and he starts this really special ministry here in Montgomery. Tell us a little bit about the gathering and what he did in downtown Montgomery, just some of those stories. 
Well, ironically, that really was the greatest comeback. And when you're talking about the comeback, the yeah. essence and the start of that comeback was when he was in the Air Force, he was stationed here twice. Yeah. The second time he decided that the military, although he served for many years, wasn't for him and that God was calling him to be a minister. So he left the Air Force with five months left in gaining a lifetime of retirement and all wow. that, which was a, a really a leap of faith and had his own church called Grace Covenant out on Troy Highway. <clears throat> he had that church for a while, and that church basically got taken away from him. And he went on sabbatical for about two years, just was a civilian, did secular jobs. He prayed, Lord, what do you want me to do? And, you know, the Lord it, to him revealed himself that he wanted him back here in Montgomery, Alabama, to start a ministry called The Gathering that focused on race and religion reconciliation, Ooh. that we're all one, Enough of the of the infighting and the different views and the and, and there is things to deal with that happened in the past, but let's focus on what God wants and we're all His. And so he kept fighting that, feeling like he he didn't want to go back to the place that he felt like his greatest failure was, wow. <clears throat> and that he just said that God kept telling him and tugging it on his heart that I'll provide if you obey. So that comeback of him coming back to this mm-hmm. city and starting a ministry from scratch on faith based in 1995 grew to what it is now and what it has become and why there's so much recognition of of who he is in this city is based upon that ministry and everything that he did to reach out to people. So he comes back to Montgomery, Alabama, the cradle Mm of Confederacy, the birthplace of civil rights. Why he chose it. I figured that he he chose that. And so I know a lot of what he's known for were his prayer walks downtown. What did he do in those? He was the most relational person that I ever met. He, somebody that, that goes to this church that knew him really well, felt like if you were having a conversation with Uncle Carmen, you were the most important person oh, yeah. in the world. That transcended into his prayer life. He felt very much like he used to call him Papa God mm-hmm. and that his relationship with the Lord and with Jesus was that of somebody that he would just share a conversation with intimately. That was the purpose of him walking around, praying over certain buildings, the Capitol, Supreme Court building, things like that where he felt like so many things had happened in the past that were so, it was so monumental to Montgomery, but it was a constant prayer. And he was praying for the the residents of the city, too, for unity and feeling like, you know, I'm just going to do my prayer walk. It's going to be an intimate time with God, but I want to pray. He's not praying for so much the institutions, but for what they represented and for the people that were suffering and had some injustices. And so he wanted that unity, and he felt like that was the way to do it. I want to get to some of the, the, you know, success here, but... I know there had to be lots of years where he's praying these prayers and trying to bring this city together where there was not a lot of visible fruit to see of that. How did you see his faithfulness through that? What sustained him through that? We would talk a lot about sometimes he would get frustrated where he felt like there was agendas being where people felt like, you know, there was a lot of bitterness and a lot of agenda coming forward rather than trying to focus on the things that were really, really important. And I think the thing that frustrated him the most is when two people of faith were infighting, mm-hmm. whether it was two congregations, mm-hmm. two, two different religions, two different races that were both Christians infighting about things that were not what yeah. he would call upward or heavenly. Yeah. So what he would do is, is, is he would tell me that he would just continue 
to pray the prayer that it, he needed to remember that it was in God's timing, wow. not his. He he wanted instant results. Yeah, I know we all. And he felt like, am I making a dent? Is, is there any mm. kind of progress being made? And there was. I mean, there was baby steps along the way that I think encouraged him to keep going because yeah. he would see progress. Sure. So his faith was tremendous. His relationships with other people really sustained him. Good. A couple of breakthrough stories I want you to share, and one just over the last few months before his death, but tell about the encounter he had with George Wallace. Well, obviously, when you talk about race reconciliation and you talk about what everything happened and symbolism and everything, George Wallace was it. And when, when Uncle Carmen was here in nuclear medicine in the Air Force, he had to uh, do some x-rays on Lurleen Wallace, and he found, that's when they found the cancer. And He remembers George Wallace being very, very rushed and feeling like he needed to leave and get on the campaign trail, and Uncle Carmen carried that around with him, some bitterness and some anger. And then, so years later, he was having some side of march or walk or rally that was faced, based upon race reconciliation, and George Wallace called his home to talk to him about perhaps being a speaker because as many of you guys know, or most people know, that later on in his years, George Wallace asked for forgiveness. He attended some African-American churches. So him and Uncle Carmen reconciled in a way where Uncle Carmen asked him for forgiveness for carrying that around all these years towards him. Mm-hmm. And George Wallace asked for forgiveness about a man who was trying to lead the city in, out of the race uh, problems and that what his impact and his role and they prayed together and they cried together and I think they attended a church service together but wow. that was a real breakthrough that before George Wallace passed away uh, he confessed to Uncle Carmen about some things that he had done in the past that he wished he could have changed wow. and then Uncle Carmen turned around and confessed and said <laughs> I've held a grudge for, towards you all these years that's not been scriptural and please forgive me for that what a beautiful story um I'd like you to tell this because I think it'd be so encouraging to the people here at Landmark. Uh, about a few months ago, when, when Uncle Carmen found out about some of the reconciliation that Landmark's been doing with the Southside Church, what he expressed there, what that meant to him, I think that will encourage us along our path. Well, you know, I remember him telling me that, you know, be very, very proud of the church you go to, not in an unscriptural way of pride, but the fact that you guys are paving the way a lot, and it's a model church and what you're doing with, with Southside. And that's exactly what the gathering is about, is breaking down barriers if it's two Baptist churches from different eth- ethnic backgrounds. I'm so glad that, that God gave him those signs of that comeback he'd been praying for all those years. But, you know, just in close, Daryl, now your Uncle Carmen is experiencing the ultimate comeback. When you think about him facing the Lord and his reward. What do you think about it? It's hard. Um, it, that part's not hard, but we always talk about how we're so happy for the person that's getting his internal reward. And for us that are, that are left behind, he's just a man, but there's a tremendous hole and yeah, void left. Yeah. But, I, but I have taken comfort in the last three or four days. If you watched him and the way he led his life, little things always made him happy. He could get happy and joyful and literally song comes on, dancing. He was very, he loved life, had a zest for life. I think about that a thousandfold. Imagine if somebody that gets so excited over the little things of this world 
what he's experiencing right now. Because ultimately, that was his whole mission in life. He'd always say that I may know the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. Mm -hmm. That scripture in Philippians. He's experiencing that now. He's reunited now. And, And the fact that he is up there making the most of that does help in the dark times. It's been a rough few days. But for me, in thinking about what he just had a small taste of on earth, and he used to tell us that, you're just getting, we would talk about it, and we never ever took for granted our relationship or the times with the fellowship. He would say, you know, we would say, how blessed we are to be able to enjoy this relationship. And he would say, you know, God never wastes a crumb. This is just a small sampling of what it's going to be like when we're in heaven someday. I know he's experiencing that and, and enjoying that, so that helps. Well, Darrell, I can't thank you enough for, I know you're in the middle of your morning, you know, still we're anticipating the funeral in just a couple of few days, uh, that you take your time to, to, to share with us and share with our church. I love, the, I love that story. I love hearing Darrell talk about it. And there's going to be a big funeral next Sunday afternoon, I believe, at First Baptist for his uncle. But what a story of someone who, who waited patiently and just did what we ought to do is pray. And so I want to make one more point as, as we close out here this morning is, is never forget that while you're waiting, God's working. While you're waiting, God is working. Beneath this, he's, he's molding you. He's molding the people around you. He's molding the church. He's molding the, co- the community. You see, so often we think, well, we're just waiting. But the truth is God is shaping us. In fact, I would say this to you this morning, that there are no wasted moments. I think that's why we love Romans 8.28 so much, is because what it says is, the good and the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, everything in my life works together for something good. And so if you find yourself in a waiting period right now, let me encourage you with the good news, is that God is working. Whether it is to prepare you for a ministry here or prepare you for blessings on this earth or it might be simply to prepare you for heaven. There are all these people in Hebrews 11 that says they never received their reward on earth because God had something better for them. And God's preparing you for that. I like this story I read about this couple that I was going to the airport and they knew it was going to be long waiting line so they went really early went through security, got to their gate. They're ready before anybody else. And then everybody else comes, and they start boarding the plane, and everybody else is boarded except them. And so they're getting really frustrated. What's the deal? Now, what's the problem? We got here first, and we're still not on board. And finally, their name was called, and they get their ticket, and they're walking down the jetway, and they recognize what's happened. While they were waiting... The people there had upgraded them to first class. And my friends, here's what God's doing for you and I. While you're waiting, he's upgrading you to first class. And you may figure that out here, or it may be in eternity, when you're walking up that jetway to heaven, that you're going to find out that everything that's happened, even while you're waiting, has been for your good, and God could use it. So this morning, we're about to sing together. And this is a time where, where we do what Uncle Carmen did, where we pray. Even when we don't see the outward results, we just keep on praying. And the one thing I love about this church is that we would love to pray for you today. 
And so if you find yourself frustrated in a period of waiting, you find your faith a little bit weak and you need the body here to bolster your faith today, or if today's the day that you want to step out and follow Jesus and be baptized, don't wait on this. We can pray for you. We can baptize you right now. So why don't you come while we all stand and sing together?